For a scripture reading this morning, if you would, open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses speaking to the children of Israel on their journey to Canaan. <clears throat> Moses says, starting in verse 21, Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan. But you shall cross over and possess that good land. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you. And make for yourself a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. Verse 24. For, your, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Well, good morning, church. It is good to see you this morning. So glad that you're here. If you're worshiping or visiting here for worship this morning, we're all here to worship. Uh, if you're here visiting, we're glad that you're with us. Hope that you'll be back at any and every opportunity that you have. Wonderful church family, wonderful family of God here in Savannah, Tennessee. And so good to see you uh, today. We have been looking at some lessons that are noticing attributes about God. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about God is truth, the idea that He is the standard, He is the place that we go. Last week, we, we noticed God as our shepherd. And today, as you see from the notes, and you can get those online, you can get those in front of you, but we're, we're focusing on our worship, that journey we take together as a family of God into the presence of God. And, and want to notice some things about Him today uh, in that regard. As we get into this, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of ask the question this way. I don't know if you've ever found yourself uh, at a point in time where you've had to interact with somebody that is um, really important, maybe famous, uh, at least according to human standards. Maybe it's a situation where you knew in advance uh, that you were going to interact with this person in some way. Uh, maybe it was one where uh, you just happened to run into somebody who's famous. And, and of course, uh, I remember... We have our heritage event every year, and one year I was jumping on the elevator to run down to the first thing we were doing, and, and our entertainer was on the elevator, and so I had an interaction I wasn't prepared for. And I don't know if in, in your situation, maybe you said something, and looking back, you think, well, that's kind of silly. Or maybe you acted or behaved in a different way because this person was famous. I'm still astounded. You see the video of, of years and years ago, and maybe Elvis or the Beatles, and, and you see people and they're crazy, and they actually pass out. They lose consciousness. How does that happen? Um, but anyway, you probably regarded it as a big deal if that happened. In fact, you probably went and talked to some people about the fact, hey, you wouldn't believe who I ran into. And I said the silliest thing to them. Well, those kinds of things happened. Every Sunday, every week as a family, we're doing something, we're involved in something that, that it's a really big deal. It's a really, really big deal. But I wonder sometimes if we don't lose the significance of being in the presence of God to worship Him. 
we had the reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we'll, we'll get there, but I also want to notice Leviticus chapter 10, because in Leviticus chapter 10, you have what is, could nothing be regarded less as, it's a worship disaster. Now, now the end of chapter 9, Aaron has made sacrifice, the people have come together to worship, uh, sacrifices have been offered up, the glory of the Lord has appeared in chapter 9, the, the burnt offering, the portions of the fat, the people saw it, the, they fall on their faces in awe of God. And so great things are happening in chapter 9. And then you get to chapter 10, and you've got Nadab and Abihu, and you get this from Leviticus chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord, and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron... It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. We don't know why Nadab and Abihu apparently are not in awe of God. We're not told. For whatever reason, they're showing up and they're, they're offering up worship, but they're doing it in a, a way God hasn't authorized. And, and God uses them. He makes an example out of them. Now, verse 9 might give us a clue because there's a new law instituted in verse 9 where God says to Moses, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you will not die. Uh, that comes out, and a lot of times at work, there's a new rule issued after somebody's done something crazy, right? And so it might well be that Nadab and Abihu are drunk when they go into worship. And so God says, well, maybe we need a rule about that. I don't know. We're not told. But we are told enough to know that God wasn't pleased with the worship. He didn't accept it. And it's a hard lesson for them and for us sometimes that, that, that we've got to remember God is displeased when I choose not to make a big deal out of being in His presence, when I choose not to do things His way, when I choose not to worship Him in the way that He wants to be worshipped. And it's worth noting, and we know this, but maybe we sometimes lose sight of it, when we come together as family... And when we enter into the presence of God, we're entering into the presence of the same unchanging God that, that Nadab and Abihu chose to disrespect. You remember Malachi chapter 3, first part of verse 6, the Bible says, For I, the Lord, do not change. In other words, God's nature does not change. He still expects those who are going to worship Him to treat Him as holy, to honor Him. And so if I read of him in the Old Testament, if I, I read of him taking action against disrespect, I can know an unchanging God still views disrespect in the same way. Now, in a holistic approach, a holistic view of God, and, and there are those attributes that we really like. We like His patience, and we like His love, and we like His mercy, and we like His grace, and we should like those things because we're lost without them. But if we're going to view God holistically, then we've also got to think in terms of a consuming fire and a jealous God, a God who demands my respect and He demands my devotion if I want to be in relationship with Him. And so the question becomes, how are we doing at treating Him as holy? 
Or more personally, how am I doing at treating Him as holy? Because I wonder sometimes if the attributes that we don't like kind of get lost on us. Am I truly in awe of Him every time I come into His presence? Or, if we were living like Nadab and Abihu in that day and in that time, would my life have already been taken from me because of my worship or the lack thereof? Second question worth considering this morning, is it possible that we've become too casual in our approach to being in His presence? And I'm not talking about what we wear. I'm just talking about a very laid-back attitude. We lose sight of the idea that what we're here doing is actually a big deal. And if I have kind of lost my awe of God in some way, how can I know? Are there some signs, some things I might see in my life that might tell me that? We were in a class a while back and it was college age and young professionals and we were, we were asking some of these questions and we were asking, okay, have we kind of lost our awe of God? Are we, are we not as focused on what a big deal it is to be in His presence? And, and everybody in that age group, in that class that day, they all agreed that we, we kind of have. It's hard for us. Because what we do, while it's a big deal, it's very common. We do it every week. And part of the discussion in that class that day was, well, maybe it would be nice if God somehow let us know when we were kind of close to crossing the line. I was, a few weeks ago, I was changing out a ceiling fan for a lady, and so I'm up on the ladder, and I'm about to take the old ceiling fan down, and hadn't cut the power off yet, and so she ran back, and she was going to start cutting the power off, and she's back there flipping breakers, and one light in the bedroom went off, and so... We kind of thought that was it, and I didn't have my tester up on the ladder with me, and so I started to unscrew something. I got zapped pretty good. And so then I decided I'm going to take care of the breaker box myself. I'm not going to trust her to do that for me. But I wonder sometimes, you know, if, if God, you know, if I'm getting a little close to crossing the line, what if God zapped me a little bit? Kind of let me know, hey, Philip, you're, you're about to cross over there. Well, we know God doesn't work that way today. Into His presence then. Let's think about that for a few minutes. The psalmist talks about what a big deal it is to be in the presence of God. Psalm 33 verse 8, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. That verse, if the world could get that one right, boy, the world would be a cleaned up place, wouldn't it? Psalm 96 verse 9, Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. Key words that ought to affect our worship out of those verses? Fear, awe, trembling. And see, we've got to be reminded here, we're, we're worshiping Him. We worship the Lord. Even though, see, one of the things that happens with us, our room for worship is set up to suggest that you are an audience and somebody's leading you as an audience, but you're really not the audience. God is the audience. And we are all active participants together in offering up worship to Him, the audience. And the idea is that we all actively engage. It doesn't matter who's up here on the stage leading this. We're all active participants. 
Again, notice some reminders from what we find in the Old Testament. You remember when Moses is first called by God in Exodus chapter 3 and that bush, it's on fire, but it's not burning up. And so Moses in Exodus 3 verses 3 through 6, Moses looks at that bush and he says, well, this is kind of an amazing thing. I need to figure out what's going on with this bush. And so the Bible says he turns aside to look and God says, no, don't, don't turn aside to look. God called to him, verse 4, from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said also, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then there in Deuteronomy chapter 4 where the reading came from before the lesson this morning, Moses is saying, hey, I'm not going to get to go in. And you remember, it was a, an act of disobedience that seems minor to us. He, he hit that rock instead of speaking to it. And God said, well, you're not going in. And so Moses says, I'm not going in. But you need to remember some things about God. And he concludes his statement by saying, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire a jealous God. That's a strange attribute, isn't it? You ever been around a jealous person? A person where maybe... Or maybe you've been in that boat. You didn't feel like you were getting the attention you deserved from somebody, so you got a little bit jealous about that. The Bible says that our God is a jealous God. He wants the appropriate attention given to Him that He deserves. And then reminders from Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19. And again, what Exodus 19 ought to do for us is it ought to drive home the idea that it truly is a big deal to be in the presence of God. And, and I get it, and you understand. Uh, the Bible says there that God says, hey, we're going to make Moses, we're going to make a big production out of this because what I need the people to do is I need them to trust you. I need the people to know that I'm actually speaking to you. So we're going to make a big deal out of this. And so that is in Exodus 19, and you've got to give it its due for that. But they've been out of Egypt about three months. And the Lord is ready to set up the agreement. He's ready to give His law. And so He begins to, to set all of this up. And so the people are given specific instructions. He says to Moses, I want you to consecrate the people. I want you to purify them. I want you to get them prepared because what's getting ready to happen here, this is a big, big deal. I want you to make sure they wash their garments. And I want you to make sure that they don't go near a woman. And yes, that means exactly what you think it means. In these three days or two days as we get ready for this, I, you need to have your focus on me. Boundaries are being set. And so then when you get to Exodus 19 verse 16, you get this. So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and answered him with the God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on the Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. 
I don't know how long it took Moses to get up there. But God gets Moses up there. And this is almost humorous because then God says, Go back down and warn the people so that they do not break through the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. And Moses is like, well, we told them that. And God says, no, you go back down and tell them again. you got to love that. It was a big deal. It was a big day. There's preparation. There's respect. There's fear. There's trembling. Being in the presence of God was a very, very big matter. Now, when we start thinking about being in His presence today, I, I get it. It's, it's different. We don't have this manifestation of God coming into the room like they did there. And, there's, and I'm thankful in one sense that it's not that way. Over in Psalm 15, David asks this, this thought-provoking question uh, as the psalm begins. Let me get to that scripture. Psalm 15, and it's a short psalm. question is, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? And obviously the question there, it extends beyond just coming into God's presence to worship, but there is a metaphor about abiding in God's tent. And I think it's worth noting that, okay, God, if this is your tent, worshipers in God's tent, they are in God's house, they are God's guests, God is the audience, and if I come into God's house, then I, I need to respect His terms for coming to Him. You know, if I come to your house, I'm going to try to abide by the rules of your house. And it's interesting in Psalm 15 that, that part of what the psalmist, part of what David talks about here is he talks about the impact on our coming to God, the impact of right living. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He, he begins to talk about the idea that our, our Monday through Saturday, our life lived day in and day out, has a lot to do with how we come into the presence of God. But let's try to make it more personal this morning. Let's try to ask some questions about our worship. You know, is it truly a big deal to enter into God's presence? Or as I take the, the following self-examination of sorts, is it, is it possible that I've lost some of the awe that I ought to have regarding being in the presence of God? You remember John chapter 4, verse 24, God is a spirit and, and those who worship Him must worship Him in, in spirit, attitude, heart, etc., and truth, right actions accompanying the right attitude, the right spirit. God knows my heart as I enter into His presence. And so when we come to worship, God knows what's in here. He knows what's in my mind. God always knows I can't hide that from Him. And so I might as well have my mind right. We talked about the end of the lesson last week. We, we need to have our minds right. Well, God always knows. And so if I enter into His presence disrespectfully, if I enter into His presence not caring, if I enter into His presence for all the wrong reasons, He knows it. There's no hiding it from Him. But there's something else that's going on in our worship 
And it comes from Scripture. You think about places like Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. You think about places like Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. There is this one another aspect to our worship. In other words, God has audience. We offer up our worship to Him. But there's this byproduct where we're teaching each other, we're admonishing each other, we're encouraging each other, and we operate at a disadvantage. God knows my heart. But you don't know my heart. And I don't know yours. So as we worship and as we teach each other, as we admonish one another, as we encourage each other, the only thing we can go by is what we see and what we hear. And what I'm trying to say here is we get into this, as we get into these very specific questions, it ought to be on all of our minds that, hey, as I'm worshiping with my church family, in no way do I want to be a discouragement to my family. I want to be an encouragement to them. And not that we stand in judgment, but we're human. And not that we always look at each other the right way. But there are some questions that ought to cause me to think about the impact my worship is having on people around me since they can't know my heart. In other words, think of it this way. Would someone have the opportunity to misunderstand my heart based on what they see in my approach to being in the presence of God? And again, these questions are designed to be a self-examination. I come up very short. I'm very challenged by these, but I think they're worth asking because hopefully they'll remind us that yes, it's a big deal to be in the presence of God. Number one, do I prepare myself to be in the presence of God? Israel had to prepare, Exodus 19, it's a big deal, it's a multi-day process. And so the, one of the questions I think is worth asking is, okay, if worship is at, at, at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, do I get my mind on being in the presence of God ahead of time. And what would that look like if I am? And it may look a little different for all of us, but are we thinking about that ahead of time? Number two, can by Saturday night have a negative effect on my Sunday morning? Sometimes people at work, when we're, you know, maybe on, if on Tuesday morning, if I've got a big presentation to make or I've got a big meeting to lead, if I've got something important going on at work on Tuesday morning, a lot of times that will affect my Monday night. It may mean that I'm in bed earlier, it may mean that I'm focused on getting ready for Tuesday, but a lot of times, and we understand it in the work world, Tuesday morning, my Monday night can be affected because I've got to have everything just right for the big deal that's going on on all I'm saying is, do we start thinking about being in the presence of God before we actually are? Does my worship deserve that kind of attention? Number three, what do I do when it's not convenient for me to worship? And several questions we can drill down on. One, you know, do I allow elements to keep me out of worship that would never, never, never cause me to miss a day of work? And I get it, we all work with the guy who will not stay home, he's sick, he's, he's just a walking disease waiting to be spread, and he won't stay home, and he ought to stay home, and when we're sick, we ought to not be around people. But do we ever let little minor things keep us from worship when we know they wouldn't keep us from work? And then what about when I go on vacation? This is a good time to ask because vacation season's kind of winding up. 
You know, I'm away from home. Do I still take time to be in the presence of God with fellow Christians? And if I don't choose to, to be in the presence of God and to make that a priority on the first day of the week, what am I saying about the importance of being in the presence of God? And we've got to remember this one another issue. Yes, it's for us as church family, but we also lead these groups that are our blood families, and we've got a one another thing to think about with them. What my children see shouts in comparison to what they hear me say. So what do I do when it's not convenient for me to worship? Number four, would our worship change for the better if there was, a, if there was smoke and there was some physical manifestation of the idea that God just walked in and He's sitting right there? Number five, what am I saying about the importance of being in the presence of God if I'm consistently late? Uh, things are going to happen to all of us at some point, but, but if my regular thing is to be late, what am I saying about the priority of being in His presence? Number six, what am I saying if I consistently choose to leave early? I'm not talking about the person who has to get to work because that happens. And I'm not talking, you know, sometimes maybe we've had a health issue and we don't need the, you know, we don't need to fight the crowd physically. It's all we can do to be here. And so we need to kind of get out of the, we don't need to fight the crowd. And I get that. But, you know, I wonder when God leaves the service. I wonder when God decides it's over. We were talking about this with the college and the young professionals and we were talking about this part of it and, and one of them said, they said, you know, our lives, they're just so busy. We struggle to take time to focus on worship because we can't stop thinking about what we've got to do next. We arrive, but we're already thinking about being home because we've got to think about what we're going to do next. And I think that's a very honest answer and I think it affects a lot of us. But active participants don't leave the game early. Number seven, what if I find reason to just have to kind of leave and walk out of the assembly every week? One of my preaching buddies, he's got a teenage son and he's kind of going through this with his son. You know, son doesn't constantly have to get up every hour at home, but he never makes it through a full service. And so this buddy of mine, he's frustrated by that. And not that they should, but, but what we're thinking about is we're in the presence of God and is there something with my actions that might create a distraction for other people around me? And now I get it too. When we have children, we go through a stage, we got young kids, we don't have to go to the gym that because worship service is a, it's a workout. You know, it's like we've been to the gym already and those days will pass if you're going through them right now. I promise you they will. But let me ask you this. God as audience, are there people that you might be in front of, in the presence of, that you wouldn't dare walk out on? A few years ago, we had a fundraiser. We brought Nick Saban into Florence. And we did it as kind of a small event. We wanted it to purposefully be a small group. We, we put everybody in the 360 grill. It rotates around. It's in a tower there at the Marriott. And so everybody eats and they're rotating around. And uh, Coach Saban is at the, the head table with our sponsor. And uh, so everybody gets to kind of see him as they're rotating around the restaurant. Well, after we eat, everybody comes downstairs for a photo opportunity. Didn't think my wife was going to let me in the picture with Coach Saban, but she did. So I was able to get my picture made. And then we had him scheduled to go in and speak for about 30 minutes. And so everybody went in. It's a small room. It's the Roosevelt room. 
I didn't go in to hear the speech because we were going to be selling some signed stuff, raise some additional money, so we had to set all that up. So I'm out in the lobby near the restrooms, and about five minutes into the speech, here comes my friend Hudson out of the speech. And Hudson hits the restroom. And I kind of waved at him as he went. And I'm thinking, poor Hudson, he's missing Coach Saban. You know, this has got to be a bad moment for him. Well, I get back to setting up, and then about ten minutes later, it dawns on me, Hudson never has come out of the bathroom. And after about 15 minutes, after having missed a bunch of the speech, here comes Hudson, you know, and I kind of wave at him again, and I'm thinking, man, I hate it for you. That had to be an emergency. Because you don't, you know, if you're an Alabama fan, now you all might not want to hear Coach Saban, John would, but a lot of you wouldn't want to hear Coach Saban. But an Alabama fan wants to hear Coach Saban. You're not going to miss that unless it's an emergency. Is it an emergency when I walk out on God? Number eight, which better describes my worship? Active participation or spectator sport? God's the audience. I'm an active worshiper. Am I an active participant or am I more... Or or does bored and distracted better describe me? You know, singing is an obvious one because we're all doing that together at the same time and singing is great here because great worship leader, great congregation, great singing. but, But the truth is, I bet it could get better because the more involved every one of us are in it, the better it gets. And along those lines, as an active worshiper... Am I in awe of being able to sing praises to God, the Creator? The idea that God who created, God who would choose to love me, God would choose to rescue me, and and now I get to sing, I get to offer up my praise to Him, it is a big deal. Because the truth is, worship is no longer worship if I allow myself to become a spectator. Do I ever walk into worship and I, and I internally get a little upset within, in my mind because somebody got in my seat? Do I inadvertently create that mental list of who arrived late and who left early? Oh, there they go again. Or, oh, I can't believe they finally got here. Do I wonder why for the fifth Sunday in the row I'm either too hot or too cold? See, spectators keep statistics. The people who are in the game don't. Number nine, and we're almost done. Do I get uptight if the worship service runs longer than I think it should? You know, I wonder if God ever is concerned that the service has run a little too long. And I get it. We're in a culture that respects the clock, and so it, it makes sense for us to try to do that. And I know it's not a perfect comparison, but do we check out mentally if we go see our favorite team play ball and the game happens to go into overtime, the game happens to run a little long? I mean, we may be about to lose it because we're wondering if our team's going to win, but we typically don't check out mentally because it ran long. How much of my time is too much time to give back to God? Again, this is a self-exam These aren't across-the-aisle questions. The room gets quiet because it is so personal. And I know it's hard for all of us because we struggle with staying focused. It's not just you, it's me, it's all of us. Uh, Dale Jenkins, you know, one of the classic questions for preachers is who ministers to the minister? And Dale Jenkins kind of has that role. He is, he's a source and he's an encouragement for preachers. And he sent out a message last night and he was encouraging guys as they were going to preach today. He said, do well. And then he said... 
just remember, you're not there to preach just to preach. You're there to worship. I mean, that's that preachers, we need that. I'm down there thinking about my sermon. I've got to say this and I've got to say that and I don't want to forget this thing. And before long, I've forgotten. I'm in the presence of God. I'm actually here to worship. So it's hard for all of us. And we're in a society, we're in a culture, we're used to being entertained. We're used to media where every few seconds the image is changing because the media, they understand they'll lose us if they don't constantly hit us with something new. We're used to being entertained that way. But see, this isn't entertainment, this is worship. And the questions we've asked this morning, the Scriptures we've noticed, all they're designed to do is to try to make us think about what a big deal it is to be in the presence of God. Hebrews 12, verse 28, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. As we finish, what if this worship service this morning would happen to be the last worship service you were able to offer up to God on this side of eternity? And what if you'd have known that going in today? Coming in today, you knew that for whatever reason, you knew this was the last time you'd be able to worship God. Would anything have been different about your preparation? Would anything have been different about your worship today? And that's not an unreasonable question. That's not preacher scare. It's a reasonable question. Thursday night, uh, we had our first week of band camp this week, and so they'd be up at school till about 8 o'clock, and so I went and picked up Preston, and I picked up his friend Wesley. His Wesley's sister got married Saturday, and so Wesley's mom was all out of sorts doing what moms do before weddings, and so we were giving Wesley a ride home, and so we go up the four lane, we drop Wesley off, we get back on Highway 43 coming south. It's four lanes, divided highway, I ease into the left lane to pass the car in front of me, and there's a dude coming north in the southbound lane. I had to jam on the brakes, get back in my lane, and if we'd have crested a hill, it wouldn't be me preaching this lesson today. It'd been somebody else standing up here. I mean, that's, that's how reasonable the question is. You never know. And if we think about all of that, and if my worship today might have been different had this been my last service... If I know my reverence and my devotion need to be elevated, why not just go ahead and decide, I'm going to do everything within my power to make it better every single week. Because as Christians, we have this hope. You read Revelation and you see this picture painted of of the worship that we're going to be offering up in heaven and it'll be ongoing and it'll be a part of... Man, it's exciting. But I would hate for us to miss out on being gathered around His throne in eternity forever because for whatever reason, we lost our awe of Him down here. And not just on Sunday, but maybe on Monday through Saturday as well. Today, as Bradley leads us in the song that he selected today, if there's something amiss in your life and you need the prayers of the church... You can let that be known. If you're not God's child yet and you're ready to begin your walk with Him today, you can let that be known. I know this may not be the kind of lesson that's designed to bring us to the front of the auditorium, and that's fine, but I hope it is the kind of lesson that will make us re- help us just be reminded of what a major, major thing it is to be in the presence of God every week. If you have a need, let that be known while we stand and while we sing.